As we think of this uh, past week with the uh, terrorists and the uh, killings and the bombings and things, uh, it's, it's unsettling, but yet it's doesn't, nothing catches God by surprise. <laughs> that God knows these things are there, and we would, you know, our question sometimes would be, well, God, why don't you stop these things from happening? Why don't we somehow, you know, interrupt all of this from its occurrences? in our lives, in our nation, and things like that. But, you know, it's sad, but people have a free will to make a choice. And that's a good thing, and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing when we use it properly. It's a bad thing whenever we do it with the intent of hurting or stepping in somebody else's territory and hurting their lives. And today, I have a the scripture. We're, we're still talking about Abram, and we will be this next week or two. And Abraham, making promises happen, and I have a question mark after it. Making promises happen, and a question mark, that's a question. Uh, Because if that doesn't ring true in your mind, making something happen, there's a couple of different ways that we look at this, and uh, we want to make sure that by the end of our message today, we have a, a, a very concrete idea as to about how that the promises of God come into our lives and how that we then allow these promises to be fulfilled in our life. And we don't make them happen. You know, we don't make promises happen. We cannot make God do anything. (laughs) You can't tell God what he's supposed to do. You can't even tell the person beside you what they're supposed to do. You could tell them, but they're not going to listen. All right, you know, but you're going to do what they want anyhow, right? So if we, we, can, we can tell, but we can't make. And you see, in God, in this whole, the, the whole what promises that God has given to us, he gives to us these promises so that we can allow the promises to work in our lives. So by faith, we believe the promise. By faith, we believe what God would give to us, such as if you confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of your sins and, forg- you know, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. So if we confess, God honors the promise. And when we confess, we ask Christ for forgiveness, the promise is we will be forgiven. So we can't say, I, hey, you know what? I, I said this and you got to do this. <laughs> it's based on love, not upon uh, obligation. So God loves us enough that he is going to work in our lives and he's going to provide for us and provide to us promises, provide to us what is needed for us to accomplish the goals and so on that he has um, for us in our lives. Well, we have God's provision and we have God's promise. We know that God is the shepherd who leads his sheep. His sheep hear his voice and respond. We will see then how that, in this scripture today, we will see how that God works this in, in the life of Abram. Now, Abram has a problem. Abram is 85 years old, and he doesn't have a son. He doesn't have any children. And so all he has is a promise, and for 10 years now, he has been wandering around. He has left Ur the Chaldees and traveled to this promised land, gone down to Egypt and back out of Egypt, uh, back to his, you know, to his land. He, last week we had him uh, in chapter 14 
we had um, the kings coming and conquering Sodom and Gomorrah and, and other cities, and they took Lot captive. And so Abram pursued this army with 318 men and defeated the army and took all of the goods that this army had, had stolen, plus everything they brought with them. And he brought it back, and he gave a tenth of it to Melchizedek. And the king of Sodom says, you keep, them, you keep everything, you just give us our people. And Abraham said, I will not keep one shoelace of what I have taken, because I don't want anyone to say that you made me rich. Only God is the one who has been providing for me. And so Abraham um, gave the king of Sodom what, you know, all the things that belonged to him and the other kings. He, he distributed the, the wealth that was taken from them and he gave it back to them. Well, now we have in chapter 15, which is our, our scripture today, we begin, after all these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward will be great. Well, what's going on? <laughs> Abraham's afraid. What's he afraid of? Well, some believe that he is afraid that these kings that he destroyed, you know, that he went after and took their uh, spoils. He, you know, they, they, these kings came in and, and conquered Sodom and the other kings, uh, the cities that were around that area. They came in and took, took them over and were headed back to their home and Abram caught up to them and conquered them and took all their goods. And so Abram is perhaps afraid that this king is going to come back after him because Abram doesn't live in a city. He lives in tents. He doesn't live in a walled city. He lives in a tent and he's kind of this nomad out in the desert and he's very vulnerable. Very vulnerable to people and to armies that may come after him and attack him. So he's afraid. But God comes to him in this time and says to him, Abram, I'm your shield. Now, when we think of how that Abram has been promised, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you descendants uh, as the sands of the seashore. I'm going to bless you. Out of your descendants will come a great nation. So he has all of these things he's carrying around, but for 10 years, nothing has happened. God shows up here in this, in this chapter here after all this had taken place with this uh, king in which he had conquered and gave a, a tenth to Melchizedek. And God says, I'm your shield. Now, uh, I think of Paul's description of the Roman soldier, that the helmet of salvation, the, 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 short, the sword of, of, of the, the word, and the shield of faith. And the shield of faith is that which is to conquer which is to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Fiery darts were arrows that they would shoot that were lit up, you know. <laughs> and the uh, Roman soldiers would cover their shield in, like, leather, the wooden shield. They would cover it with rawhide or something, and they would soak that uh, sometimes in water so that when the fiery darts would hit it, their shield wouldn't burn. <laughs> and God is telling Abram that I am your shield. I'm the one who is going to protect you, and I am your reward. Think of it in the context that Abram has given back to all these cities their wealth, and he has kept none of it for himself because he would not allow anyone to claim that, he, that he got, Abram got his wealth 
other than from God. And God comes to Abram in this time and says, I'm your protector, that these cities aren't going to protect you should these kings come back at you that you defeated. They're not going to come to your aid, but I will be your shield. And, Abram, I am your reward. So Abram now is in this position, in this place where God is speaking to him. And we find that in our own life, Christ comes to us, that he speaks to us and to our hearts promises that in Christ shall all be made alive. In Christ, I am more than a conqueror. In Christ, old things pass away. Old th- behold, all things become new. I've a changed life. I'm changed from the inside out because Christ has forgiven me. That in Christ, he is our eternal reward. That what Christ has, we inherit. We, are an, we, we have an inheritance in our relationship with Christ. So just as God promised Abram, so too we have promises from God to our lives. And verse 2 says, Abram said. <laughs> That's how he starts. Abram said. One version has it that it says, but, <laughs> Abram said. Abram is trying to make sense of God's promise but within the limitations that he already has. He doesn't have any children. How can I have, how can this happen? You know, when Jesus declares in Matthew 19, 26, with man this is impossible, with God all things are possible, we find that God has placed within us a hope, a, an understanding that God is capable of doing what we are not capable of doing. Abram here is 85 years old, and he is telling God, God, Master, what use are your gifts as long as I am childless? What use are your gifts? You're, you're my inheritance. You're all of this to me. But unless I have a child, everything you've promised me is for nothing. It goes to Eliezer. And, and you know, tradition had us it that um, the eldest servant that whatever the master has, if he doesn't have any descendants, it's given to the eldest servant. Well, you know, in each of our lives, we should have, you know, wills, and we should have things in order for our families. Um, <laughs> dealing with individuals that uh, tragedies happen, they all, you know, tragedies come into our life unexpected. And if we don't have things in place, we're in trouble. <laughs> you know, you don't realize... If you don't have a will and you don't have things in place for your family, when the state comes in and, you know, families, I've been with families, but, well, I thought so-and-so did this, I thought so-and-so did that, and they didn't, and they end up taking themselves to court and the state fights not for you but against you to take a large portion, and they will do whatever they can and, uh, you know, to, t- to uh, have their will seen in this the litigations and so on because of what they feel is correct and what you feel goes out the window because you're not here to object you're not here to tell your own side your own story so and uh, financially if you don't have a will your descendants will wait at least a year two years in litigation to be able to get whatever it is ever put into somebody's account so you see wills and uh, having your estate you say, well, we don't have much. doesn't matter. Whatever you have, the state's going to take it and hold it until whomever comes and tries to, you know, 
tries to claim it and goes through the legal courts of getting it. Well, Abraham, in those times, Abram was, if he would have died, he didn't have any children, so God, you're my shield, you're my portion, all of my wealth goes to my eldest servant, and nothing is fulfilled from what you've given to me. Well, God has promised Abram a child. This will make the agreement, the contract, complete. As soon as I have a child, the contract will be, fu- will, will be fulfilled. But without a child, promises are worthless. Verses 4 and 5. What do they say? You have them up there? Let me read them from up here. Then God's message came. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't be afraid. He won't be your heir, meaning Eliezer. Then, the, then he took him outside and said, look at the sky. Go outside and look up at the night sky. Now, there's no complications here. <laughs> there's no um, interruptions. He takes Abram outside and says, look up in the skies and count the stars. Can you count the stars, Abram? Now, this is God having a conversation with Abram. Can you count the stars? Count your descendants. You're going to have a big family, Abram. (laughs) You're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky. And Abram says, I don't have a child. You see, God promised him descendants. And here we are, hearing something, as it were, in our spirit, and knowing that God is speaking something to our hearts and our lives, and it could be in the truths of the Scripture, the dreams that we have in our hearts and our lives, that there are, there are things that we want, we desire, things that we believe are part of God's plan for our life, and they, they, come, they keep coming back to the surface in, inside of us. And they're just like the promises that were given to Abram. But we kind of look at them and say, well, that's pretty good, but I don't really think it can happen. Well, Abram does the same thing with God. Descendants too numerous to count. Now, children for many couples is not a problem. But for Abram, he doesn't have a child. God takes him out, no distractions, just look up in the sky. The vastness of the night and the God who spoke this universe into existence is the same God who's speaking to your heart, same God who's speaking to Abram. How vast is the promise of God? How vast is the promises of God, but yet all the vastness of that promise comes back down to Abram and to him being without a child. If it is possible for us to make promises happen, what good is a divine promise? See, that's the challenge of the title of this sermon. Making promises happen. The challenge is that if we can make it happen on our own, what do we need God for? God is giving us promises. God is giving us things that are beyond our capability Uh, beyond our thoughts, beyond our imaginations. 
Like, we have an eternal home. We don't know what it's like to be in eternity. We don't know what the glories of heaven are, but God tells us they are there. But we also have that God has a provision, a place, a plan, a purpose for our lives. And he reminds us of this all the time. Every day we awaken, there are promises. The renewal of God's promise and his word are inside of us. And his spirit reminds us of these things. And yet we're challenged to, well, within my own limitations, I can't see this happening. But, see, that's the point. God gives us promises. He gives us these dreams. Dreams that are not dreams. <laughs> dreams that are not dreams. Sounds pretty good, David. <laughs> dreams are sometimes bad pizza. <laughs> dreams are sometimes based on ego and what we want and what we're going to get out of it. But dreams sometimes are the inspiration of God upon our heart about being, doing, accomplishing, that these things are there. And it's not over yet. And we would look at our limitations and we look at our limitations and say, well, you know, that's just bad pizza. <laughs> that's just, a, that's just a, something that can't really be happening to me because of, and we do the Abraham shuffle, uh, I, I can't see how this is going to happen. You're saying the things, but it doesn't work. Miracles is that which is beyond, our, beyond natural abilities. Promises have us focus on outcomes that are beyond what we can perform. God causes us to look at outcomes that are way beyond what we could do on our own. But he believe, God is touching our lives to make this happen. Verse 6. And he believed. Believe God. God declared him set right with God. So God says to Abram, that's right, it's going to happen. Abram believed and everything's in the right order, right relationship. It's all going to be good. And so God is the basis of our faith. There is a heartfelt inner confidence that this is going to happen. God is going to perform it. And he is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he will do. It's settled, and it's all done, and it's all in good order. And Abraham receives the promise, and he's confident once again that he's on the right course and that he is doing the right things. And so now what happens? <laughs> and this is where... This is where the wheels fall off the wagon. <laughs> this is where Christians and people get into trouble. This is where we find ourselves sometimes trying to find what's wrong. Because God has made a promise. God doesn't fail in his promises. And we believe that he is going to do something, but it doesn't happen. And so what do we begin to do? We, be go, we go on a witch hunt. <laughs> we go on, somebody's got to be wrong here. Something's got to be, you know, there's got to be, yes, the, 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 and I, I remember people saying, well, there's got to be sin somewhere in somebody's life, and they start looking for the sin, they start looking for this problem, they start looking for that problem, they start blaming and whenever you have to blame someone for God not doing something, 
you've totally missed it. When people began to blame and to find fault with themselves and with others, they are missing what God is trying to say. And they're not going to find the answer in the blame. They're not going to find the reason that things aren't working out because there's some under-hidden problem somewhere in someone's life and, you know, God's told me it's your fault that I'm not blessed. (laughs) You know? Well, I have um, been in many situations where uh, people have wanted to blame others for why they are the way they are. You know, if you hadn't done this, if you hadn't said this, if they hadn't did this and they hadn't done that, I'd be much better off and they and them and this and that and hmm and huh. You know, there's a book. What's it called? Um, it's uh, Who Moved the Cheese? It was around long ago. Who Moved the Cheese? There was him and Haw and Scurry and who else? Sniff. Sniff and Scurry and him and Haw. And, you know, there's these, there's these two little, they're four mice, right? Four mice? Two mice? Were what? Okay, they were guys. And so there was these two mice and two guys, all right? And somebody moved the cheese. And they go back to their spot where they get the cheese and there's no one there. The cheese is gone. But I forget who did what, but two of them left and, and went off and they, never were heard, they weren't heard of and the two the, sat around and they kept coming back waiting for the cheese to come back. <laughs> and the cheese never came back and so finally they were forced to make a decision. <laughs> and uh, they had to go find a cheese. And it's not a, very, it's not a big read. It's not a 5,000-page book like War and Peace and things like that. It's just a little... <laughs> It's a little him and haw and whatever, and who moved the cheese? And how that people have such a hard time changing. And we look at this, and we know that God has given us a divine promise, and we know that things are going well, but net things aren't going well, and we have a promise, and I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with a capital P. I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. <laughs> yes, oh. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Scratch that. <laughs> but those are things, those are, what, those are the songs we used to sing with Rachel and them when they were kids uh, down in children's church. So I didn't sing it. They, they sang it. But... Uh, but we look at this stuff and we look at the promises and, we, and, and nothing is happening. So therefore, something's got to be wrong somewhere. And so we start looking to blame. And in chapter 16, we have found the culprit. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. Wow, it's obvious. Abram's got a promise. His wife can't have children. Therefore, it's Sarah's wife. No, Sarah's wife. It's Abram's wife, Sarai, and it's her fault. After all, women at that time, if you couldn't have, they couldn't have a children, have a child, they were cursed by God. So, 
It's easy to blame someone who is unable to have a child. So she was to blame and considered (laughs) um, that God was the reason she was unable to have a child. God had made a promise to Abram. God had tradition or, um, what's the word? Superstition had said God had cursed Sarai because she couldn't have children. So therefore, we found the culprit to not having her, Abraham's descendant. So, how do you resolve this problem? Well, you can either focus on the promise and the outcome, or you find a reason for the failure and someone to blame. So, what happened? Sarai, she had an Egyptian maid named Hagar, Sarai said to Abram, God has not seen fit to let me have a child. So you see, Sarai, Abram's been talking to Sarai, his wife, about this promise and about these things that God has been saying to him. God hasn't shown up and told Sarai any of these things. She's just heard the idea that God has made all these promises to Abram and she can't have a child. So therefore, there's something wrong with her. (laughs) You see what happens when we start blaming? When we believe that something should happen and it doesn't happen, we often blame someone. But perhaps, well, we know in this case, Abram hadn't arrived at the right place in time, hadn't arrived at the place when he is 99 years old, beyond having a child, and Sarai is 90 years old and way beyond having a child for God to perform the miracle. But Abram's not old enough for this to happen yet. <laughs> so he's only 86. Hmm. See, whenever we blame, we're only making excuses for something that we expect that does, hasn't happened, and it's got to be someone's fault. We don't blame. We don't find reasons to cut people off from our life. So what happens here? Sarai said to Abram, God has not seen fit to let me have a child. So Sarai is saying, well, you know, I can't have a child, and it's God's fault too. You know, God has made you a promise, and it's God who hasn't given me a child, so therefore you have to sleep with my maid. Maybe I can get a family from her. And this was a tradition. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So he, you know, it's perfectly logical for Abram that this was tradition. If a woman couldn't have a child, that the, her maid servant, uh, you know, the first in line of her maids would be take over her position and bear children for her. Just like um, the servant who was going to be the inheritor of all that Abraham had, if he didn't have any children, was going to go to his first servant. Well, in this case, she can't have a child. So therefore, Abram gets the first servant, and Sarah's servant, Hagar. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took the Egyptian maid, Hagar, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. Abram had been living ten years in Cana when this took place. He slept with Hagar, and she, she got pregnant. When Hagar learned that she was pregnant, she looked down on her mistress. Sarai told Abram, it's all your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. 
I put my maid in bed with you, and the minute she knows she's pregnant, she treats me like I'm nothing. May God decide which of us is right. So, (laughs) there's conflict in the camp because we found someone to blame. And everything was logically and everything was traditionally in order. You know, there there wasn't like some wild abuse going on here that, you know, Sarah, Abram went out and raped the woman and all that. No, tradition, and this is how they did things in those days, and so they did all the things according to how they figured out how the things should happen. And see, this is where we, as Christians, have a higher law than the, the law of logic. While it fits, but it doesn't quite fit. See, we can make this happen. We can make the promises happen. Well, it's not about making them. It's, allow, it's about being available to God for God to use us so that the promises can come in our life. See, sometimes we do have to step out in faith. Sometimes we have to move beyond our comfort zone. Sometimes we have to recognize what's going on here and not give in to the temptation of, well, it's your fault, it's their fault, it's, it's the government's fault, it's, you know, who's, who's at fault here for this terrorist? Who's at fault for this, these two individuals? We're going to find someone, and rightfully so, there are individuals who are accountable but we look at our life and we, we've got to look at it in a context. We're not going to make God bless us. We are going to believe God for his promises to come into our life. So you can't make promises happen. You can, you can believe that God will fulfill his promise. You see, I was thinking of... Um, the difference between Disney, what's Disney's? Make all your dreams come true. You know, Disney, makes all, make all your dreams come true. There are fairy tales. And there are castles. And there are magic, the magic kingdom. And there are all of these things for children to believe in, and to make all of their dreams come true. But there are promises that we must believe in to allow God to make them real in our life. And Abraham, Abram at this point, has a son, and his son is named Ishmael. And, you know, and this is part that we, you know, we don't often understand. I don't understand. God has made a promise to Abram. And even though Abram, can, Abram makes, as we would look at Jewish tradition and our tradition, we would say that Abram made a mistake. And he had a son named Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. Ishmael had ten sons. And from those sons came Mohammed. 
the prophet. And to the Arab nation, Ishmael is not the mistake. Isaac is. <laughs> Isaac, from the Jewish perspective, is the lineage of Christ and the hope of the Christian faith. And we find how that from Abraham to God made him a promise. He would have descendants as great as the you know, stars in the heavens. And he has two lines that come out from his desire to make something happen, Ishmael, and his desire to believe God for something, someone to happen, and that is Isaac. Isaac, Jacob, who's later turned to Israel, the, ten king, the, ten, the 12 tribes of Israel in Egypt, delivered from Egypt and the descendants of Christ and through the promised land that is now Israel. And we look at these things and say, wow. We see how God worked through Abraham to honor a promise and gave them the potential. And you can read, you have to read all this and there's a lot into it more than what I'm just saying. But we find how that through Isaac is where the blessing comes. It is through Isaac, through the Jewish nation, and through, through Christ and through Christianity that we have God becoming man and dwelling with us. Where God came and paid the price. Christianity is different than Islam and all the other because God has come to be our Savior. God has made the provision. We do the accepting. In the other ones, we have to become good enough to be accepted by God. That's not how this works. And so in our faith, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have a relationship that changes us from the inside out. And God gives us promises, promises that will guide our life and give us hope to give us eternal life. Think, if you blow yourself up for the cause, you will immediately go to heaven and be married to ten virgins. Well, that's the terrorist teaching. Jesus taught, if you love someone, you will give your life for your brother. If you love someone, it's not what you're going to get, it's how you're going to receive. You don't make promises happen. You allow the promise, as you follow Christ, you allow the promises to be made real in your life. And... Believing in a promise given by God. There's a time when we can do and make. We can make something happen. But making a dream come true is, I, I look at that as Disney. God gives us dreams to help us see beyond our present to what he can do in us. And the dreams that are formulated by God always come with a promise. The dreams that are formulated by God come with a promise. The promise that God is going to bless that dream and make it fruitful for his kingdom and for, for our life and our service to him. It's like uh, David in El Salvador. He's able to go there and people for years 
Christians have been praying for God to provide for them. Well, now the group that David is working with is answering their prayers because he is helping them have gardens. <laughs> they can now eat. He's helping them to find water, drill wells. They can now have fresh water to drink in the dry season. He is helping them become, that God has answered their prayers. You know, in a, every one of those communities in El Salvador, there's a church. There's a Christian church in every community in El Salvador. Even the most rural places have churches. But they still haven't found the way to make things happen. Now God has answered their prayers through your contributions and your givings and your missions and things that we're sending David out and in Lasse out and all these things to make, make their life different. They had, a, they had a vision, they had a dream, they had a calling. And they've made a difference in thousands of people's lives. And in, by the time they're done, they want to have the entire country of El Salvador touched by Enlace and by these ways of people taking care of themselves. That was a promise. Born in one person's heart, now going out and making a difference in a country. See, it wasn't, it was a, it was a promise given by God that as you put yourself to the task, we see how God is bringing it together. Abram, he, he couldn't see how God was going to give him a son through Sarah. Sarai, we'll see that next week <laughs> in the next chapter, and we'll see how that works. But this, this chapter is where Abraham tries to make it happen on his own, and it doesn't work. So let's all stand, shall we? So God in his grace, God in his mercy, he touches our lives and makes a difference. It's like Jesus to Mary and Martha. Do you believe that your brother will live and rise from the dead? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You see, God instills a promise that brings us hope. And that hope gives us strength to go on to what God wants to do. It changes the direction of our life and gives us an outcome. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your gifts. We thank you, Lord, for how you have called us to your kingdom for such a time as this. We ask, O oh Lord, that your blessing be upon your word and upon our lives as we reach out to touch you, that we might touch others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.